In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Betches Media presents. If you feel depressed and if you feel anxious and you feel confused, you know what? Welcome to the club. Gaspacho police. Oh my God! What a stupid son of a bitch. He believes that it's a woman's right, it's a woman's body, and it's her choice. The Betches Sup Podcast. Sayonara, sucker! Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Elise Morales. I'm Caitlin Bird. And this is the Betches Sup Podcast, where these families, the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. Happy hump day, ladies. We were just chatting before. It feels like we have not been able to gab for a minute. I'm so happy to be back with you all. What are the, yeah. uh, what's the latest gossip? Tell me. <laughs> I don't really have any gossip. I just rested and relaxed in Spain. I feel like you were there a minute though. But it was actually only like five days. Oh, it was a full five days? Wow. I mean, well, the travel just I takes mean, up so much. one of the days was like a travel day. So it was really yeah. just like a tiny... Little, no, I, by a minute, I mean like literally. I don't. I think it felt like you were yeah, only gone for a no, minute. It was not a the short, colloquial minute. <laughs> it was a short trip, but we packed in a lot, and it was very beautiful. And Brian had a very beautiful wedding. Oh yes, tell us, tell us. Well, it was just gorgeous. It was in this little town called Pedrasa, Spain, because wow. Brian's husband is from Spain, and so they got us like a little bus that took us there. It was like ninety minutes outside Madrid, and it's this completely like adorable little old town. And they got married in the ruins of an old wow. church. And it was really beautiful. Happy pride. <laughs> Happy pride. Two gay men getting married in the ruins of a church. <laughs> it was really, it was really something. It was oh. very, very beautiful. And it was so much fun. And yeah, I mean, it definitely was one of those things where it made me want to go back to Spain immediately, but mm-hmm. also it was a perfect trip for what it was. Yeah, I saw a couple a couple betches are are making a longer trip out of it. And I'm very jealous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We originally wanted to do that, but it's like we've got a dog now. It's like so hard to get yeah. someone to sit them for that long of a time, but yes. Work. But it was perfect. Jobs, and Madrid everything. is really cool. How about you, Caitlin? How have things been? How have the past few weeks been for you? Highlights, lowlights? Uh, I got a chance to fly out to the opposite coast, which I do very sparingly. So it was like my second <laughs> time in LA. You Ooh, sparingly, the West Coast. <laughs> <laughs> sparingly. Um, I picked up a lot of vibes. Uh, not much, not many anecdotes <laughs> other than me deciding that uh, car culture is an abomination. Mm-hmm. But that's that's kind of like my my rate as a as a person who grew up in New York, I think. <laughs> I feel like you and Millie, because Millie is also very passionate about transportation and ending cars, should do some sort of like battle about who can who can drag who can drag car transportation the best. <laughs> I would love to have an episode where we just talk about nothing but like the positives of mass transit and the potential. Because I'll be honest, like every time I got really stuck in traffic, like one day, and I was like, all I could think about while I was like sitting in the back of this car where the air conditioning was not cool enough to let me know 
that we were not baking. I felt mm-hmm. I could feel mm-hmm. it. I was like, That's the worst. oh no, this is a desert. This is a desert in the very hot part of the day. Oh my God, we are dying. When you're not moving. Yeah. Yeah. We, we weren't moving. The inside of the car is probably like, I would say like 72 degrees or so. So not like that cold, but it wasn't not that warm, but like it wasn't cool enough to let you know, like you could feel the heat outside. Yeah. Yeah. You just like, feel you like you're suffocating. Yeah. It was like very hot. And I was like, I could, all I'm thinking about right now is I'm stuck on the 405 <laughs> is like, what if there was just a rail line that could just get me I where know. I wanted? Have you, I know those graphics are always so compelling to me when they like, it's very simple, but they show like, you know, this is how many cars it takes for a hundred people. And it's like splayed across five lanes versus like two tidy little buses. Yeah. I always, I noticed that when I was in France too. Like I, I can't afford to indulge in cars as much as I do. It's just something that like I treat as if it's a non-negotiable. Cause like I get a little panicky on the subways. I can't deal with the heat. So when we were there, I was like, no, we could not possibly could not possibly take a bus to this location. And I was like, man, it's actually so much easier to just take a fucking bus there. Like the bus takes you door to door. It's two euro. Get over yourself. Yeah, it's, get on it's, the damn you're bus. not in America. Get on the damn bus. And it was so, it was so pleasant. But haven't had a pleasant bus experience in the United States since I don't know if I have had one. I had one very traumatic experience on a bus in LA and then one oh, no. like actually I didn't mean very to stir this pleasant. Up. It wasn't that bad, to be fair. I was just in a mood because I could not get a lift back to our hotel. So we had to take a bus to go to a different part of town where there would be more lifts possibly. No. It was like a whole thing. Like the thing wasn't like, oh, take Healthy a bus transportation to a infrastructure. Was, yeah. Go to this other place to possibly get a car. And I, I like had a whole breakdown about it. And it was very early. Oh my gosh. I'm glad you're back in New York. Yeah. A lot chiller one. But like I, I LA, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful set of small cities mm-hmm. tied together with highways. I'm not going to call y'all. <laughs> yeah, that's such a good I'm not going to do that. It's I'm definitely sorry. a metropolitan, a metropolitan. <laughs> it is a lovely metropolitan area. Yes. Now that we are all caught up, we'll, we'll get to our subjects for today. I thought I'd start. It is midterm season. And I feel like I only recently at the age of like almost 33 entered the phase of life where I hear midterms and I now instantly become like sort of sweaty, feel like I'm kind of on speed, haven't slept for 72 hours, like in a weird location in my college. I finally associate it with like the midterm elections instead of midterm tests Yeah, that you pay thousands of dollars in tuition to pass, which made me want to ask you guys, because I think we're all all academic gals, all high achievers. What is your wildest memory of studying for for midterms in college or in Caitlin's case in prep school? I didn't have midterms in, in high school, but maybe you did. What's like what's like the most like strung out you ever were or craziest thing you did while studying or longest you went without sleeping? Am I just exposing that I had real problems? <laughs> I mean, I definitely would stay up all night. Like because I was definitely very much like a procrastinator until the last minute and then like pack it in. Of like course. hard do hardcore studying towards the very end. I mean, I would always go to the library. We, I mean, I feel like every college campus probably had some version of this joke, but it was the Morris Library, and we called it Club Morris. Mm-hmm, and so you'd be like, course. "I'm going to Club Morris," and that meant you yeah. had to study. I was more like, uh, like that with papers over midterms, yeah. which I guess sometimes the midterm. Sometimes it's a midterm a paper. paper, right? I always liked that. I always preferred that. There would always be like a paper that you were supposedly writing the entire semester that I would write <laughs> in like three insane days, like at the very end. Three days. Wow. Oh yeah. yeah. I just was never like long term project is not 
going to happen in my life. No, I feel like that's why this job works well for me and maybe for you too, is that like, you don't have a choice whether the daily newsletter gets done. I don't have a choice whether this podcast gets done. It's a daily thing. I can't procrastinate it. It has to get done. Otherwise, frankly, it would not. Things on my list that are not urgent do not get done. Yeah, I just was never, that was never my vibe. I was always like, the last week that things were happening, whatever week was the midterm week, that was when I was commencing all That's when you began your semester. (laughs) (laughs) And I would, you know, do what needed to be done to stay up and work all day and all night. (laughs) And then I would kind of come out of it and be like, Like, what was that? There always was such a weird haze. Did did you have this? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a rite of passage. It's how it's done. It's how it's done. Caitlin, did you did you begin your term papers in a responsible manner? No, I don't. (laughs) You guys are talking about like, oh, we have jobs and our job requires us to do things. And I have I'm approaching like a year since I went into writing for myself. And let me tell you, no, it never gets. I'm just there (laughs) at the last minute being like, okay, email the editor and let her know. That you are gonna be late. She expects it. <laughs> they assign <laughs> editors aside, assuming that. Yeah. No. Um. For college, I actually do have a college memory. I was I was extremely bad. So uh, I went through a scholarship program when I was like in middle school that got me into prep school and you know helped me get into college. And that means that like the toughest academic period of my life was actually that time because I had classes for the the program and I had regular school and I had to maintain grades for both. Otherwise I get kicked out of the program. Jesus, that is a lot of pressure for That was the traumatic part was like staying up and like having a school project and then also having to write like a paper at the same time because like they don't care. Like my program didn't care about what homework I had and my school didn't care about what homework I had. So they were just not no communication whatsoever. You're such like tiny adults at that age. It's And nobody's like, is this too much for a kid? Crazy. Yeah. yeah. But in college, that did give me, what that did, unfortunately, was untether me from fear, which is a bad thing to have. Because when I was like, I went through this shit real bad when I was like a small child. So afterwards, totally. they'd be like, you have this many hours to write an entire term paper. I'd be like, ah, I'm fine. I was, I literally wrote like a, I think I had a 10 page term paper due on the Iran Iraq conflict. And I wrote it in a single night while watching oh, okay. Alias. I was binge watching <laughs> Alias on one of those old in high like, school or college sites. College. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then I stayed that up. And I, I don't know. I that might tracks. have had half a gallon of orange juice. Of course. You, you drank orange juice to stay up and watch papers. I feel like all mine are, are pretty similar. We definitely did weird stuff where like we had a very particular place we liked to study, um, but it was completely like windowed, but it also, they they tried to like close it down at like 10 p.m. So we would basically hide ourselves. We would build these little fortresses. Mm-hmm. They could definitely see us. They just, we thought we were like, yeah, we hid. Like we're so great. We can keep studying for this bio test. And yeah, same, just really quite a sprint at the end. And nowadays it's just, I think about it a lot because if I get, Five hours of sleep. I mean, hell hath no fury. I cannot function. Where I was doing yeah. that shit like every day in college. Well, I would never wake. I couldn't schedule a class before ten a.m. in college because of I was not, not 
wake up or arrive at that class. <laughs> <laughs> Literally <laughs> would not arrive. The, the professor would say, Elise who? Because <laughs> she would not be there. And it fits in with the research that says that teenagers should actually not be starting their days before like 10 a.m. anyway. So like yes, we I were the natural ones. The world expecting us to wake up, they were the villains. I know we were I thought some city. I think maybe California actually is going to push they're doing something with the start times. They're not making it like as late as it really should be, but they're like making it later because not in the middle of the night. It's, like, yeah. Well, I mean, when I was doing the Rose podcast, we would talk about this all the time, but like I would be up at 5:45 just sad. So sad. It was so hard. It was the hardest thing to get out of bed when you're a growing gal at 5.45 in the morning. It's dark. Horrible. It's dark. It's cold. You stayed up late. And then 40 minutes later, I'm in math class? Get the fuck <laughs> right. out of here. You're starving. We <laughs> don't drink coffee trying to yet. teach me algebra? No. No, thank you. No. The American education system is broken, as we have demonstrated, for the first 16 minutes. The only of upside of boarding school was no yeah. commute. That was the only mm-hmm. thing that made it okay. Where it's like, okay, I can walk. I can literally, it's a five minute walk. Like I just need to get to the schoolhouse. Oh, mm-hmm. my, we were 40 minutes from my high school. Because oh, at least that adds, that's a whole nother factor. And it's public God. school, but it's, and it's because Virginia purposefully drew its districts to segregate them without segregating them. And you, no one will ever change it. But racism way, hurts yes, white people. Uh, we would drive by other high schools on the way no. to my high school. Like, no, we're going no. to the other one that's really close. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh my oh. god! Tough, tough, tough memories. Tough memories. But here we are into our thirties, all thriving, mm-hmm. all thriving, all still waiting to the last minute. And you know, it's fine. It's fine. It's no problem. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Because now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone for any occasion. And it's easy. You just tap or click Gift Mode in your Etsy app or Etsy.com and then answer a few questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated gift idea list based on hundreds of personas. Now it is simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of my favorite things to do are go to Etsy gift mode and then search absurd things like what kind of gifts do you have with Walter Cronkite on them? What kind of gifts do you have for dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. So let's talk about the midterms that are on our mind. These days, let's analyze some outcomes. There were primary elections yesterday. We'll start with South Carolina. Trump endorsed primary challenges. This is this is just an interesting setup because it involves two incumbents. So Trump endorsed primary challenges to the Republican House members who didn't back his election fraud claims. One of them was successful in their primary and one was not. Incumbent Nancy Mace defeated Trump-backed challenger Katie Arrington, and it wasn't super close. She won by about 10 points, which is, is pretty good there. Nancy Mace opposed blocking the election certification, but she didn't vote for Trump's second impeachment. She sort of like, you know, went halfway. 
But Representative Tom Rice in South Carolina, he did vote to impeach and he lost his primary last night by a lot. I think his challenger got like 53% and then he split the vote 25-25 with something else. So pretty searing indictment. So a lot of candidates who haven't embraced Trump like Nancy Mace also haven't necessarily denounced him. They haven't run against him. I mean, we even saw this with, um, what's his face? Brian Kemp, like didn't even really engage with Trump, you know, kind of pursuing a challenge against him. And he, and he, and he won that way. But Rice, on the other hand, again, Rice voted for his impeachment, has called Trump a, quote, spiteful and petty and vengeful person and a, quote, narcissist who craves attention. So probably a lot of energy from Trump's side against this gentleman. <laughs> I mean, it is interesting to see that it's like you cannot speak ill of him. Like you can kind of dance around it, whatever. You can have engaged with some level of conscience around January 6th, but you have <laughs> to be like, like, I think if he had done it and then been like, but now I see the election is fraudulent and I actually wouldn't have done it or whatever. Yeah. Like, if he had played some silly game, like kind of this Nancy Mace person did a little bit, he maybe wouldn't have. I don't know if he could have won because his district, I, I read, is pretty conservative in general. Hmm. But I think he got rocked because he didn't like kiss the ring later mm -hmm. either. And he has continued to be like, no, I was right to vote right. to impeach him. He should have been impeached. Spiteful and petty and vengeful. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm sure all of this guy's other views are I don't agree with at all, but it is sometimes refreshing to see someone who's like, no, I guess I will lose my job over this. This guy should have been impeached and he's spiteful and petty and vengeful. Yeah, and I mean, at least, at least he, again, I don't know as much about his policies either, but I'm kind of like, at least he bothered running, whereas a lot of them are just kind of like, fuck it, I'm not even going to try because I know. That's the other thing is that like a lot of these people who would have had to do what he's doing, have just decided, like, actually, I'm retiring. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think there's right. the guy the guy in New York from around upstate mm -hmm. New York. Not Buffalo, exactly, but he's, like, a Republican supporting some gun reform. He's like, I'm just not going to – I'm just going to bow out. Yeah. I think the, the thing that's very telling about this is the hold that Trump has on Republican voters. And there's a lot of, like, focusing on Republican officials because they have agency, but, like, it – there's a lot of demurral and like deflection away from the voters who actively want this. Like in the most ruby red districts, you're seeing people say like, we want to overthrow the government <laughs> for Donald Trump. Like they're literally saying that at this point, because you ha have an option between someone who's like, it's wrong to overthrow the government. You shouldn't do it. Elections sometimes get lost. And then they're like, lose this one, bitch. And you're like, yeah, I got very aggressive for you to say, like, maybe we shouldn't try to overthrow the government when we lose elections. You know? <laughs> yeah. And for people who it's like, they agree on all the other horrible stuff. Like, it's like, no, no. Oh, my God. We totally will still take away a woman's rights to choose. We are still 100% racist. There's not an ounce of like public service or healthcare or whatever that I would vote for. I just think you shouldn't storm the Capitol <laughs> and attack it physically. <laughs> Plan and coordinate. And, like, threaten and lawmakers. I just think that this is like not good. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think just, I want to be behind it. I'll just admit it. 
I was freaked out when the angry mob stormed into my workplace. <laughs> I know, I know. It's like the incumbents are like, look, man, I, drew I was the there. Line there. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. Let me p- quickly give some information about Nevada's primary too, which I think is a- even more personal to Trump, where his in Nevada, his former state campaign co-chair, Adam Laxalt, advanced to a general election for Senate. So not only does this person have a Trump connection, but his grandfather was governor and senator. So he has a recognizable last name. And this is also an open Republican primary. So they're not running against the incumbent. The incumbent is a Democrat. So that's nerve wracking. People sort of view Nevada as a potential pickup for Republicans, uh, potentially unseating Senator Catherine Cortez Masto security in that seat. Nevada Republicans also nominated election denier Jim Marchant for Secretary of State. The current Secretary of State was censured for not doing enough, I guess, to overturn the will of the voters. I just think we don't discuss this tension enough that these individuals are being elected in elections on platforms that those very elections are completely bullshit and cannot be trusted. No, but the ones that the Republicans win oh, oh, sorry. are good. I forgot. I forgot. I always it's forget that. The, the ones the Republican wins is not, those aren't rigged. No, those specifically happen to never be rigged. It is scary because Nevada is the state that pushed it over for Biden in the Electoral College. Like it was after mm-hmm. Nevada that he had despite, it. And- despite taking their time. They did take their time. They did. Uh, what wasn't it then that they were like, oh, "Don't be mad at us." One of the results oh, right. today. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, oh no, we're closed for the day. I'm yeah. So, we're so gonna resume go counting. We're gonna resume counting at 10 a.m. AKA when Elise was ready to go to classes in college. That's about yeah, when we exactly. start our day at the, at the Nevada at the Nevada BOE. <laughs> but it's also like. And not that it even matters to these people, but this has been litigated and relitigated. People looked in. There was a whole crazy investigation into Nevada's elections. It was found that they were 100% completely fine. But it doesn't matter because it, the point is to get someone in there that would have found the, I mean, the, that was about Georgia that Trump said that, but quote unquote, he wants people who, when he calls them and says, find this, like such and such many votes, they find them. Mm-hmm. and. Yeah, people didn't do it. Brad Raffensperger didn't do it. And this Nevada woman, I don't think she got the direct call, but she they had a Republican Secretary of State in Nevada, but she didn't do it either. And so now they're trying to put people in who will. Yeah, I think that, I mean, to me, it's like deeply distressing that there's not, I guess, as much focus on the fact that like people denying elections are being elected. Like, the system is broken because that should not happen. Like they should mm-hmm. be precluded from running elections. If you believe that Democrats cannot legitimately win elections, well, this is like a bigger issue. Like they've been, Republicans have been delegitimizing Democrats for a very long time, you know, going all the way back to like Newt, really Newt Gingrich. Yeah. But like, also, you saw it with the Bush team where they were like, we have a sweeping majority. And I was like, it's 2000. You won by like a handful of votes with a stopped recount because the Supreme Court created like some magic unprecedent that just said only for this particular situation, we should stop voting and a Republican should win. And that was a 5-4 decision with five Republican appointed justices agreeing. So we've been here before where it's like, oh, we've got the sweeping majority. Like, no, you don't. You barely won. Half a million people didn't agree that you should be president. And yet you're talking about how you have the right to do like of a dominion over our politics. 
And it's like, where did this come from? Like the people who didn't vote for you are still here and we still have valid voices. And even if in the cases where Democrats win, you saw it with John McCain dismantling ACORN in like retribution for Barack Obama succeeding. You saw Mitt Romney with this unskewed polls thing where he was like, oh, that's not the real baseline of voters. So you need to add extra points to Mitt Romney's total. And if you do that, then he's winning. And it's like, that's not how math works. It's not how statistics work. The math right. They, math. they truly can't. They're in such like pathological denial about the fact that their party, frankly, does not have popular policies. They don't have popular sovereignty. They're a minority of the political public. And like, it's weird that we like keep acting like it's like half and half when really yeah. it's more like 60, 40 on the best case scenario. Like, I know. Millie always points out. Yeah. Our super narrow on is like closer to 60, 40, maybe 55, 45 than it is 50, 50. And it's on the stuff that we disagree about and we've got the winning edge. It's like 70, 30. It's like much, much bigger. And it's like, it's never talked about that way. Oh, there are two sides of things. No, they're not. Mm, 75% of people agree with us. So that's not really like a side. Yeah. I've even had to train myself and Millie has like brings us up a lot. You guys do too about how like, a poll will say 50% of Republicans and it makes it seem like, oh shit, it's 50% of Republicans. That must be so many people. That's like 25% of people max, probably not even because everything's so skewed. It's like probably like 15 to 18% of people actually believe that. But I tend to see those, you know, obviously the, the mainstream media isn't providing those contexts and I see those and I'm like, oh God, we're, I just, I balk and it feels hopeless and it feels like, you know, I'm constantly thinking and asking about how to kind of like advance our party's interest without like being alienating others too much. And I think I just over like overvalue how many of them there actually are. And I think that it seems like some Democrats strategizing around the midterms are are hoping that that's true as well, because I've even seen some rumblings that like not even rumblings, but I think Democrats have like explicitly funded campaigns for not campaigns, but like elevated super Trumpy candidates because they think we have a better chance of beating them in November. What do you think of that? Even if we're not actively participating in that, like, I don't know if people are like mass registering to vote in Republican primaries, but what do you think? I'm definitely hearing that, that Democrats aren't mad that some of these candidates are getting elected because in some purple states, especially maybe like Nevada, they're going to be so unappealing. What do you think? We're giving yikes faces, all of us. (laughs) playing with fire i think we we saw how this worked out in 2016 where they were like oh if trump wins like he's gonna be destroyed it's like okay but you need to understand and this is the thing that like is really like the what you were talking about how you feel like oh man we have to negotiate with this sector of this of society even though they're so small because we aren't told that they're so small so we end up giving all this ground away that we don't need to give. Like no one agrees with them. We are a massive majority over them. We should at some point act like it. And just Mm -hmm. like, nah, you're, you know, it's like, I believe children are people and that they have the inherent dignity of humanity. But when a child does something stupid, like tell you that they want to put a fork in a, an outlet, you don't say, well, that's up to you. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not up to them. You so 50, 50 chance that could be dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, when you think about it that way, it's like we have like the thermostat is all is all off. And I think that people hope that like after maybe if they overturn Roe, then, you know, that's not actually what people want. So it will go in the the other direction. But 
you got to tell people, though, like Democrats are just like, OK, they're going to do a bad thing and the people will react like that thing is bad. It's like, no, because they've got a giant propaganda machine that says that that thing is OK. And yeah, they, yeah right. keep, we keep acting like they're half of the population. So if you are in an equal situation, you want to negotiate with somebody rather than getting into conflicts with half of your population all the time. But that's not the case. We're getting into an argument with 30 percent of the population, only half of which is absolutely batshit rabid and won't negotiate anything at all. And like we could have. That should be the terms the polling companies use. Absolutely batshit (laughs) rabid. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing, up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. So finally, in terms of like how to interpret, you know, Trump's impact, I struggle when we're reading the takeaways and we're sort of keeping score for him because every house, you mentioned this, Caitlin, every house district is very specific. Some are designed to be hyper-specific. So how much can we really measure for Trump's impact while controlling for other factors and idiosyncrasies of the district? How are you kind of taking these, taking his wins and losses with a grain of salt? And what are you thinking about, you know, Democrats really need to correct for? For me, it's like, I'm trying to just look at everything, even though everything is like hyper-specific, I'm trying to keep track of what is trending yeah and where things seem to be going and it does seem like election denial among the republican base is a motivating issue for mm-hmm. people so that's kind of what i'm seeing is that it's not only like trump backed people it's if they're trump backed and they also are like super denying of the election whereas Mm -hmm. like people who are losing these republicans who are like what's his name rice or whatever who we were just talking about he was gung-ho saying that the election wasn't rigged and then you will lose yeah i mean if you are convinced there's also there's exceptions because raffensperger kept it in georgia so it is like it actually is kind of hard to draw these big long trends it seems like individually from state to state their own relationship with how their election was administered is affecting everything yeah i think that's so true and like i feel like national media probably takes that for granted 
Yeah, because it's like even as I was saying, oh, these people are winning here. It's like, oh, no, but actually those candidates lost in Georgia. Right. And I just feel like I see this narrative every time where it's like, you better watch out. Trump has a big hold. And like, of course he does. And we need to. But I just don't want to be too hysterical about when we could focus thing, you know, elsewhere. How are you interpreting it, Caitlin? I think it really comes down to, you know, all politics is local has been said forever. I think that it really like some places are very attached to their relationship to the national party. And it's a reflection of like, they see themselves as like the bellwethers, the front lines. Like, I think you'll see like New York and California off very often, like have like on the ground situations that like turn out Democrats like Eric Adams. But like when you get us into a position where we have to take a stance on a national issue, we go way further over, you know, and it's like, well, this doesn't seem to be showing up in like your granular politics. It's like, well, yeah, because the granular politics of like managing a city is totally different than like our posture as a state vis-a-vis the country. And same thing with like Georgia. I think like Raffensperger, like, I don't know if that was, it was like necessarily Georgia enjoyed that what happened with Trump, you know, they kind of feel proud. I think Georgia Republicans that they had somebody stand up to him. They're also a little bit more purpley now. Uh, that doesn't mean that they're purple, but like, I think that there's a very strong argument to be made, which I'm sure Raffensperger did make on the granular scale, which is like, we need to stop the Stacey Abrams crew and whatever. And I'm going to make sure that happens, but we don't need to rig elections to do it because we're better than them. And you can kind of like, that's a much more inspiring little story to tell on a local level, I guess, than like, it's all terrible and we're, they're being overrun and they've got it. And the only way to do this is to rig elections. Mm-hmm. And like some people enjoy the fear. So like, absolutely, I think like it really comes down to it, but I'm nervous about places like Arizona, which was very new to like having anything happen. Nevada, which that's deeply disturbing. I mean, they did give a Sharon Angle back in 2010, but like, it's still weird to see like a state that feels so purple, like with these kooky people. Yeah. Yeah. And that just, I think, emphasizes what you both were saying, which is that it really is, um, there's local context that has to be, that has to be considered when you're trying to analyze like what really happened and what was motivating people. Well, that is not it for us. We are coming back with New York City Council member Carlina Rivera. We love her. We stand her. And she's running for Congress in New York for a very important, cool, dynamic race. So stick around to hear all about it. Mom deserves the best. And there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Today, we are back with one of our favorite, I like to call them supporters, New York City Council Member Carlina Rivera. How are you doing? How has your summer been? I'm doing all right. It's been it's been a good summer. It's been yeah. interesting. 
politics is always a funny sort of industry, I guess. Uh Um, Uh We've been having some weird weather. So I think, you know, climate conversations are much needed. Yeah, exactly. Those typical, like it used to just be like normal water cooler, like how's the weather? But now the conversation of like, oh, the weather is quite fraught. (laughs) Yeah. And then there's the political climate, which I know we're going to Exactly. Yes, exactly. So my first question to you is, are you okay? And I ask that because you have chosen to run for the United States Congress. I can't think of anyone else better to represent Manhattan, but could you tell us what path led you to this decision? Talk about it. I was super excited for you to see this. Oh, thank you so much. Well, I appreciate you asking if I'm okay, because I feel like <laughs> people should be asked that. And you know what? Yeah. I always appreciate when someone takes takes a second to, to, to check in with folks. And I don't know how closely you're even following the redistricting in New York. Girl, I-, I find it so chaotic and I'm in, it's messy. I love it. And I love that you're in it. <laughs> well, it's like, it's like a very, like, I love mess situation. Yes, yes. yes. Um, I do hope for most people's sanity that they are not following the redistricting process. Everything really started moving very, very quickly when the, the final maps were released. And so colleagues and my neighbors, they, they were calling me and texting me and encouraging me to take a look at the new NY10, which is this yep. fantastic fantastic new district that was created. That's where I was born and have spent my life where I currently represent in the city council. And so I talked about it with family because, you know, campaigns really do affect your family and, and like totally. kind of your circle. So we all agreed this was a huge opportunity for me to do even more for the communities that raised me and, and made me for who I am. So I'm running for Congress to help build a future for every New Yorker so they can see themselves in a future Mm -hmm. for New York, for New York City, and to represent this newly drawn district with homegrown pride. And I want to talk about you mostly, not necessarily your competitors, but just so our listeners know some of what... So now New York City, basically Manhattan at least has two districts. One sitting incumbents, Carolyn Maloney and Jerry Nadler will compete against each other. And you're running in a district where you will oppose Representative Mondo Jones and Bill de Blasio, right? That's right. So our listeners are familiar with that landscape. And I think it's really important that these are competitive. I agree. I think, you know, for folks, people want choices and they want competition. There is no question. So I think in this case, it's a good thing, right? It's there's no incumbent. So people have have this this choice to make over who their their representative is going to be. And and what I tell people how I kind of differentiate myself is that ultimately I bring a real strength in, in having grown up with families in the city who have felt left behind. My mom raised my sister and me in, in Section 8 housing on a union job, right? Single mom. Our neighbors were our extended family. And so I've always known community to be a group of people who take care of each other. And I think that's something that all New Yorkers do. And so my promise to folks is very simple. I'm going to take that notion, that feeling of taking care of each other to Washington, I think my record also that. shows that I don't just say it, I'll do it from organizing her during Hurricane Sandy to fighting for displaced neighbors to have the right to return when new housing is built in spaces where they were displaced 40 years ago. These are the types of campaigns I've taken on. And there's a lot at the federal level that's at stake. And just really, I think a local perspective for some of our national issues is Mm going to be really important. And I think what ultimately people seek in their reps. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, definitely. So during your time in the council, you've introduced and passed legislation related to sexual harassment, immigration, criminal justice reform, affordable housing, small business survival, and 
bicycle safety. And I really wanted to stress reproductive rights and justice because we've talked about this before. This is hugely important for you. I'm wondering if the landscape with that was also part of your motivation to run. The role of reproductive rights in my work as a legislator so far is rightfully significant. I think it's only going to increase, especially, you know, considering we're waiting for this decision to come from the Supreme Court that will inevitably gut or overturn Roe v. Wade. And so I've been very unapologetic about it, unabashedly fighting for abortion access, all forms of reproductive health care since I got to the city council. So in 2019, we did the nation's first abortion access fund. So that's really municipal money towards abortion care for people from New York, actually from outside of New York, which I think is something really, really important to highlight. And other cities have since followed suit. So we've seen Austin do it. We've seen um, them also incorporate things that I think New York City has learned from as well. So being a model is great. But then as things start to progress, really building out a better program. Uh, Just a few weeks ago, I introduced a piece of legislation that would ensure that abortion pills are provided at no cost in city-run health sites. Mm -hmm. And then last term, I actually introduced a bill that would do the same for long-acting reversible contraception. So that would be, again, in our city-run facilities. And so that's all part of this really comprehensive approach to reproductive health care, and also approaching it with cultural nuance as well, because there's a lot of history there on reproductive rights and contraception. And we want to be aware of that. And as Congresswoman, I will 1000% bring the fight for reproductive freedom to the federal level by doing what I've been doing, which is coming up with creative solutions to overcome decades old obstacles as urgently as possible. And while working towards long-term solutions as well, that we have to ensure that our basic human rights and bodily autonomy become the law of the land. It's, it's very mm-hmm. simple. I'm sorry that it's so challenging and it's become no, yeah. really exhausting, but you know, we, yeah. we, we have to get out there. We have to fight. But in New York, and I'm sure you've seen that these are, you know, these are obviously designed to help people access their right to end a pregnancy, but they're also public health benefits, right? I mean, it's just, it's very costly to a government when lots of people are having pregnancies they're not prepared for. So I'm also curious, um, what are some, you, you referenced that there's been a learning experience and there's been some insights. So how has New York moved to make abortion more affordable and accessible for people? And what are some other insights that you think you really want to get into Congress and say, I, I think we should try this? Well, I think we have to go further than we ever have. We we have to ultimately, like, we all have to say the right thing, right? The protests, the rallies, all of this has a role. But as legislators, we have to know how to throw down and make it real, tangible action. And yeah. those are some of the things that we've done in New York, things that are happening across the country. And that's going to be really, really important. I mean, That's what I brought to our work around abortion access, as well as the rest of my work at the council. And it's what I'll bring to Congress, too. I think we have a few things we should do, right? We should continue building on the budget. I think we have to also make sure that other municipalities are doing the same. And that's why, you know, this model is great, but we have to build and make sure that we're being very specific as to what other cities are doing, what those towns are like. I think something like requiring access to abortion pills, to contraception, the full spectrum of reproductive health services that has to be in our facilities. And the abortion care is health care. That has to be something that is accepted. As you've said, it's so important, like 
to recalibrate people's understanding. And I think people have been cagey around discussing like the actual practicality of some of abortion care and reproductive care. But when you speak frankly about what these are and it's healthcare and people should have access to it. I also wanted to ask you because we don't have a ton of representation in Congress from people with Puerto Rican background. And I know that's close to you. So would that be kind of like on your agenda if you were to enter Congress as well? Absolutely. I'm a proud Puerto Rican. Were you at the parade over the weekend? Oh my, I was at all the parades. So fun, yeah. Breakfast. So there was, there's a yeah. great parade on Fifth Avenue. It's, it's huge. It's, it's iconic. I think everyone knows uh, what goes, what goes on, on on these Sundays in June. It's a blast. A, yeah. Oh, it's so much fun. The music, the people, everyone is just joyous. They're screaming. Flags are everywhere. Maybe the bass is turned up almost a little too <laughs> yes. on the yeah. music coming out of our cars. But I was also at one in Sunset Park, which has a, a large Puerto Rican community as well. And I know that some of the things that have been worked on in Congress by some of our reps like Nidia Velasquez on, Mm -hmm. you know, that path to self-determination for Puerto Rico, for Boricuas that are on the island. That's really important. People need the resources to make their own decisions and to decide ultimately wherever you are, statehood, independence, they need the resources to make their own decision. And I will be very, very vocal on that. I have family on the island right now. I will tell you that some of the issues are access to affordable housing, workforce opportunities. Also, the average age of like the Puerto Rican island, those communities are very, very old. These are Mm, our elders. And to get to services, you have to drive. It's not very accessible in terms of transportation. So there's a ton of things that have to be worked on. And also, there's a lot of opportunity there. Mm -hmm. So I want people to know that, you know, it will be Puerto Ricans themselves that determine their future. And I want to be a part of making that happen in in a very responsible way. Yeah. So tell us before we let you go, when is your primary and how can people find out more about you and potentially help you as you're in this primary if they have your vote? August 23rd is the primary. So it's, you know, summertime for those of you. If you vote in New York, of course, I know that you, she is charming enough to maybe commit election fraud over, but please New Yorkers only. (laughs) New York is only, and I will tell you, August 23rd is kind of a funny time. If you are on vacation, and I do endorse vacation, um, please fill in your absentee ballot. That has become even more accessible, and there's a ton of uh, more transparency and more accessibility for voting rights here in New York. So that's certainly something that's available to folks. You could also early vote. We have something called early voting here in New York. That's August 13th to the 21st. awesome. And then people can follow along with our campaign by signing up for updates on the website, carlinarivera.nyc. Awesome. Sounds great. Thank you so much. We really appreciate your time. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you for for always being in this. It is so, so important. Thank you. Thank you for everything. You bet. Talk soon. That is our show for today. Until the end of Democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Elise Morales. I'm Caitlin Bird. And this is the Better Sub Podcast. Bye. The Betches Sub Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Jorge Morales-Pico. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore Sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails to suppod at Betches.com. Betches.